Hi, this is Chelsea Vale. You have found the Whole Heart Podcast, a podcast for conscious parents who want to do things differently. Parenting the Whole Heart Way is about love, connection, play, and raising our children naturally. It can get, at times, a little bit crunchy. Let's jump in. I've been getting a lot of questions on playroom setup and toys and um, the reasoning behind why things are set up this way. So I'm going to come at this from a play therapist perspective, as well as um, introduce a little bit of the Montessori theory behind some things, Reggio Emilia, and even Waldorf. So these are all educational philosophies that I've researched to try to find what is behind each of these, because as a play therapist, we're trained to do things a very specific way for a child's emotional and mental well-being. And I've always been curious how schools do things as well. And are we all lining up with the way that we um, look at children and their needs um, regarding play and how play helps them to reach the um, you know their optimum you know developmental level? So from a play therapist perspective, the most important thing is that everything that a child is able to play with should be at their level. What that does is create a space that tells the child or sends the child the message this space is for you. And if you think about the world from a child's perspective outside of the playroom or outside of your play space in your home, everything is bigger than me. Everything is high. I have to tilt my head to look up at people. I have to climb into chairs. Um, I have to look up to see artwork. Everything is towering over them and looks very different at their level. There's also things that are placed up high that they might be curious about, but they can't touch. So, so much of their world is you can't, you're too small, you're inferior. But a play space or a playroom or even a classroom that has everything at the child's level, including art, art, mirrors, rugs, chairs, shelves, toys that are appropriate for them to play with, everything is at their level. When they walk in, this sends the message, this space is for you. Everything is small. Everything is little. Everything is at their eye level. And one of my professors in college said, I dream of a world where I walk into a school and the art is at the child's level, not placed at the art level. I mean, I'm sorry, at the adult level, right? And in preschools, it is that way because they've researched the philosophy. But unfortunately, when you walk into many public schools, all of the art and decor and even the children's artwork is all at the adult level. Again, that's giving the child the message, this is a space that we're creating or decorating for adults. This is a very adult-led environment. I want to walk into a doctor's office and see everything at the child's level. And a good pediatrician will have that. You'll walk in and go, oh, they've thought about this. They want the child to feel important from the moment they walk in. So that's number one, is that everything is at the child's level that is accessible and meant for the child, even the decor. Number two is warmth. So it's really, have you ever walked into a school and it felt very sterile, very cold? It almost immediately closes off parts of you, not just, you know, you kind of, you know, move your body in a little bit tighter because you're cold, but it also has an effect on the brain and then even the spirit. It shrinks everything down to where it sort of closes you off. Warmth is very important. A preschool environment or a play space, even a home, needs to be warm. If you have hardwood floors or tile or stained concrete, warm up the child's play space with rugs. Not only does that help to frame the environment, but it provides warmth so that the child is encouraged to get down on the floor, which again is at their level, 
and um, they have space, but it also warms the environment, which opens up the soul, opens up the spirit, and relaxes the body to really get engaged with play and pay attention to what they are doing. If you can't do rugs or if that's too hard for you, then dress your child warmly with pants or leg warmers if they're babies knee pads, socks, things like that to warm them and encourage them to open up and play, um, you know, down on the floor or in, in their own space. Warmth is very important. So we've got things at their level, things that are warm. Also, if you can have natural materials. So we've talked about this before in some of the other episodes, but natural materials are things that are made of um, felt, cotton, flannel, Um, you know, uh, let's see, wood is a really good one. Um, anything that warms in the child hand sort of has the, um, enlivening, it sort of enlivens in their hand. It, it opens up their ability to play and relate and connect with this item. If you were to go into your playroom right now or your, your classroom or play space and hold a plastic action figure in your hand and then you hold a Waldorf doll that's made from cloth and flannel and even beans that's movable in the hand, hold both of those for a moment and close your eyes and really try to meditate on which one do I feel more drawn to? Which one feels more real and alive and am am I connected to in my hand? Almost everyone is going to say, oh my goodness, the cloth doll. It's really incredible how that is. That is what a child needs. That that doll can be given so many more lifelike qualities because it's not rigid and cold and sterile as you know an action figure. Now, of course, I have action figures in my home. I've got two three-and-a-half-year-old boys, but I do encourage much more play with the peg dolls or Waldorf dolls or even the cloth dolls that they can really make come alive in their hand. I also get asked sometimes about art in the room. Now, in a Waldorf classroom, um, you're going to see things that are, it's probably going to be basic most of the time. A Waldorf classroom for kindergarten or the preschool grades is going to be painted in muted tones, natural tones, peach, maybe rose, very soft colors, because that meets the child at their developmental level. If you look at the color wheel, what's across from that, very lively, bright, bold colors. And that's where the child is living at this, you know, specific age or time in their life. And so we do the opposite of that on the walls, which is the muted and calming tones to bring the child back down to center. Um, Rudolf Steiner, who developed Waldorf education, was very um, conscious of the way that colors impact the spiritual and emotional um, parts of the human spirit, and especially um, a young child. They are very sensitive to color. If you walk in to a preschool and especially, you know, I'm, I'm really bad about this. When I was touring preschools for my boys, I would walk in and if it was brightly colored toys everywhere and, you know, bright lights and primary colors, and it's too much for the eyes. It's overwhelming. It's overstimulating and, um, can cause, you know, sort of a lack of attention and focus on the actual work that's in front of you. And so I usually would just say, thank you for your time, but we're not interested and walk straight out. I want to walk in where everything is very basic very calm, very bare, because I want my child to decorate the walls with their mind. I want my child to be responsible for what this wooden figurine becomes, what this wooden house is. It looks like a dollhouse, but it's so wooden that it could be a store. It could be a house. It could be a school. It could be a hospital. It could be a clinic. It could be a fire station. It can be whatever my child wants it to be because it's not already pre-designed and predetermined what that item is. 
So um, very basic on the walls. In a Waldorf classroom or, or playroom, you might see mirrors, you might see botanical, um, maybe some imaginary uh, murals or natural scenes or settings, but it's going to be very basic, um, nothing really bright or overstimulating, and that's the way that your playroom setup should be. In our home, we have the um, Buddhist prayer flags um, up on the wall, but that's about it. And then we have one uh, painting that I did uh, with the boys that has all of the colors of the chakra, and that's all. We don't really have um, a bunch of other things kind of cluttering the space because, again, the child's imagination should be what's decorating the space, and that space should be whatever the child wants it to be. And that kind of helps me segue into the next rule of thumb for the playroom or classroom setup, and that's the toys that are there. All of the toys should be open-ended. And what that means is that the child is allowed to make the item whatever they want it to be. Think about a peg car versus a um, you know, Disney Lightning McQueen car. The differences between those is that the peg car can be a spaceship, a fire station, a police car. Uh, sorry, not a fire station, a fire truck. It can be anything that that child wants it to be. And that is the same for a lot of Waldorf toys that you'll find in some of the stores I've mentioned in previous episodes like Magic Cabin, um, Nova Natural Toys, Papoose Toys, Honey Bee Toys are really great, Bella Luna. Those are all places where you can get Waldorf toys. And you can find some at the Grimm's. Um, if you look Grimm's on Amazon or the Grimm's Wooden Toys through Google, that'll take you to their website. Um, those are all really great places to find the Waldorf toys if you just want to take a look at those. But I also make a lot of my children's toys. Um, I paint wooden figurines um, that I found on Amazon or some craft stores and things like that. But the more basic a toy is, the more the imagination has to stretch to create something really wonderful out of that item. Um, If the toy is already predetermined by the manufacturer, the toy designer, that limits the imagination to be just that. And what you'll notice is that a toy that already has a character and uh, in a role to it, then the child will only play with it in that one way. And the imagination is kind of a muscle that we need to continue stretching. And if we limit it by giving a child a predetermined toy with a purpose, um, and in fact, that toy might even have a voice, we're limiting that imagination muscle and not allowing it to stretch. So some people are very specific. What should I try to get? If I could go home right now and get some basic items, I want to tell you some things you should get. Definitely get wooden things like wooden rainbows, wooden trees, um, mountains, coral, waves, um, perhaps some toadstools, wooden cars. If you go to a craft store or even Goodwill or any kind of thrift store and you collect miniatures, those miniatures can be all kinds of things. Miniature bottles and stools and furniture, trees, plants, cars, um, dishes, Um, bridges, fences, clouds, a collection of miniatures can be found just about anywhere. Either keep them displayed or keep them in little bins like baskets, wicker baskets are really great or wooden tubs, wooden bins, things like that so that they're still accessible to the child. But this way the child can create all sorts of imaginary worlds using each of these miniature things and then they can really play out whatever it is that they need to play out because remember, play is not just a way that a child passes time or entertains themselves or distracts themselves from adult responsibilities or adult happenings around them. Play is really important. There's value to play for a for a young child and we need to provide materials for them to be anything that they need it to be so the imagination is constantly stretching working processing and expressing so those are really great things also grab some things from nature collect sticks rocks river stones pebbles marbles 
gemstones, agate pieces or slices, uh, tree slices are really great. Dirt and soil, putting dirt and soil in a bin, sand, kinetic sand, allowing children to play with things like that, even natural clay. My children and I once went to a creek um, here in Austin where we live and we collected some clay from the river and I just put it in some bins and went home and they played with that forever, squishing it, stretching it, um, putting things inside of it, loose parts like marbles and rocks and making little designs and things themselves in there. Also, um, blocks are really great, but avoid things like Legos. We have Legos in our home, but they're in a bin that is, it's a black bin and it's pretty closed off. I really encourage them a lot of times to play with um, more of the unfinished blocks that we have because that requires the child to come up with whatever they want that to be. They have to balance, stack, design and then even use their imagination to color those unfinished block pieces. So um, those are some great things to have. If you have things like games, um, you know, like board games, puzzles, coloring books, each of those, those are fine for children to play with, but they're just sort of limiting them. So those are things that can be used in, um, you know, moderation because it is much better for a child to sit down with a blank piece of paper and some crayons, perhaps some beeswax crayons that feel warm and um, soft in their hands to create whatever their imagination comes up with versus a child who sits down with um, a coloring book, then they're told to color in the lines. Again, that is limiting the child to, well, that picture is already decided. Now all they're doing is filling in the blanks on someone else's creation and imagination. So open-ended toys, open-ended art, process art, all of those things are really fantastic to have. Even seashells can be brought into um, the home. Um, unfinished doll's house or basic doll houses. Um, a fire station could be okay, but I found a fire station that was basically just red and orange. It doesn't really say fire station. It doesn't have a Dalmatian painted on the side or a firefighter or anything like that. It really can be a lot of different things, and I've seen my kids turn it into a lot of different things because it's not predetermined. So the most important thing would be open-ended. So just to review, let me tell you what we have. We have everything that should be at the child's level and accessible. Warmth. It should be a warm environment or warmed with rugs. You should have um, open-ended toys, meaning that the child can use their imagination to decide what those things um, should be. Handmade toys are also very valuable um, you know, to the child. They become more special to the child because they were created for the child. And all of this really sends a message that this is a space for you to explore and imagine and create. And I value your imagination. I value your creations and your expressions. And wherever the play space is set up also needs to be a space where the child can play without adult intervention. It needs to be a place that the child can play freely and explore without um, you know, an adult deciding how they need to play or setting any sort of rules or boundaries to it. For example, if the child decides to dump out all of the toys and it makes a big loud noise, well, it's not disturbing your you know, reading at the table or it's not in the kitchen where you're going to be saying, pick up all your toys because I need to cook now. It needs to be a place where the child can play freely and make messes and it's okay because part of that is all part of the process. So be mindful of that um, when you're creating these spaces. If messy art is troublesome for you or uncomfortable for you, then find a place where it's not uncomfortable. I used to have our art stuff all done outside. Everything was in the mudroom and we would paint in the mudroom because that's not a space that I worried if something got spilled. I could stay calm and keep my cool and, you know, help my child to clean up and then, you know, move things back inside. 
It's really great if you have spaces that are sort of um, designed, like perhaps maybe a, a role play area can be really great. And in a role play area, you might have kitchen, um, cleaning materials, play food, or even real food, perhaps recycled boxes and cans that you've taped up for safety, um, different costumes, dolls, um, and then you know small furniture could be in a role play area. Then you might have a building area where you have um, different kinds of blocks and magnets and tools, construction types of things, nuts and bolts and things like that. Then you might have more of a light and color exploratory area and maybe it's things that um, you know, marbles and stones and maybe a light up table or mirror so that they can explore with reflection and light and color in that type of a space. And then perhaps you have an art space that's designated um, just for mess that might have an easel or a child sized table, beeswax crayons, clay, paint, um, you know, things like that. Perhaps you even have a sensory bin area and you might rotate the types of things that are in that sensory bin and you create sensory bins with beans, pasta, rice, seeds, rock salt, and you have different figurines and stuff in there. Perhaps you have a more natural play area where you have your rocks and stones and um, wooden figurines, gnomes, fairies, uh, mythical creatures. Maybe it's a table that's covered with moss or perhaps a fairy garden that you've created with different fairy houses that you found at a pet store and you have your um, plants and animals and fences and bridges and everything in that area and perhaps your little um, sand table or sandbox is in that space. If you create little framed areas then the child knows exactly where to go to find those things and also when they're in the mood to play in that realm they can really enter that world in their imagination and um, play a lot more freely because everything they need for that type of play is in that space. I would also really encourage you to get play silks. I've mentioned Sarah's silks before but they are really fabulous. They because they're made of really um, you know actual silk for some reason they just seem to come alive in in the hands and they're made with beautiful different colored tones and tie dyes and things like that also if you have the money to invest in a waldorf play stand this is something if you have the space for it as well that can really be just about anything that the child wants it to be it can be a reading nook it can be a lemonade stand it can be a restaurant ice cream truck it can be um, a tree house in the woods and you can use the play silks to decorate um, the play stand but this really opens up the imagination because it can be so many, um, you know, different wonderful things. And again, anything that is felted or cloth or natural really comes alive in the hand. So I hope that I answered your questions about setting up a play space and why, you know, these toys are the way that they are and why there is such a specific setup and a method. And if you walked into pretty much any Reggio Emilia or Waldorf um, play space or classroom or school, you're going to see very similar things because there's a method of the madness. What we're really trying to do is get into the child's world because children live in their heart and in order to get into their minds and help them to reach their highest potential, we have to reach them at their heart, which is why this is called Whole Heart, the Whole Heart Podcast, because because, um, you know, in order to reach a child, um, we have to get into their hearts. And to get into their hearts, we have to engage in their play and connect with them with their natural language, which is play. Play is a child's natural language and toys are their words. And if we can value a child's play, not just as something to entertain them and distract them, but really value it as an expression of self and a language that they are using, then the parent-child or teacher-child relationship will be that much stronger. I really encourage you to take a look at the way that your 
playrooms and classrooms are set up um, and try to connect with your child and get down on their level and think, what can I change about this? What can I improve? How can I let my child know I want to be in your world and I want to connect with you and hear your language through play and really provide a space for you to be your true self and express yourself and play with materials that um, touch your heart and matter to you. Um, I really encourage you to do that. And I would love to hear your stories if you can. Thank you again for listening. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to the Whole Heart Podcast. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcast, or wherever it is that you get your podcast. I would also greatly appreciate a review, and I'd love to hear what you like and what you don't like. And if you have a specific question for me, you can always email me at chelsea at joinwholeheart.com. I'd also greatly appreciate a follow on Instagram at joinwholeheart. I provide content about single motherhood, taking care of my young boys, playing around the city of Austin, and lots of good open-ended play and play-based learning can be found in my stories. Again, please subscribe. Thank you for listening. Be well.